Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition, where we are asked some post-draft questions from our Football Insider subscribers and also some questions about the current roster. So we get into all of that. I do want to let you know at the very beginning of the podcast, we had a slight audio issue, so it's going to sound a little bit different for the first five or so minutes and then uh, we, we kind of get our audio back on track. Uh, so just kind of bear with us there in that first part. Uh, as we just had some unexpected audio issues. Now, these questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. If you want to get involved, go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. You think I wouldn't hesitate after saying this so many times, but you should still do it. Uh, You can become one of our tech subscribers, which is where we get our questions from for this podcast. You get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. I actually wrote uh, today's newsletter that went out to our subscribers or is going to go out to our subscribers. And then, of course, you get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. So again, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Okay, here we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. Let's get right to it. Our Football Insider subscribers sending us in a lot of questions about the draft, kind of where the Browns go from here. Let's just start here, Mary Kay. This is always the question we have to ask after the draft, uh, since the roster has kind of taken shape to this point. This comes from Abe in Huntington, West Virginia. Hey, Mary Kay, what position or positions concern you the most in terms of depth and quality? following the draft? Well, I would have to say my number one area of concern is still the number two receiver. I do think that they need somebody to pair with Amari Cooper that can go out there and start every single game for you at that number two wideout. I don't think they have that guy on the roster right now. I think they're thinking maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones can handle that chore. I'm thinking they're they're believing that uh, maybe, maybe David Bell can do some of that. But I think they need to go out and they need to either trade for a wide receiver or uh, they should sign one, such as a Jarvis. I'm not feeling that vibe, but uh, someone like him, or maybe even Will Fuller, who has extensive experience with Deshaun Watson. Uh, So that's my number one area of concern. I still think also uh, that they should go out and sign their number two edge rusher in Jadavian Clowney. I wouldn't mess around with that. I think you need to pair Miles Garrett with him, and then you bring along the young edge rushers that you have. They also have Chase Winovich, who's more of a veteran, but I still think uh, that they could use an elite edge such as, as Jadavian. I don't think there are a whole lot of other holes on the team. 
the only other area that you'd kind of have to wonder a little bit about would be the tackle spot, the offensive tackle spot, because uh, you have to hope that Jack Conklin can stay healthy and that Jed Wills lives up to his first round status. If you have an area of concern, uh, you know, that might be it where you have to hope that someone uh, can come in and step in for one of those guys if necessary. Yeah, it feels like at, at receiver and at edge rusher, there's just sort of like, it feels like they're just counting on maybe some guys we aren't sure about to this point. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, um, you know, David Bell's going to be in that mix at receiver, of course, uh, but but he's a rookie. It's, um, yeah, they're, they're sort of cobbling it together with numbers right now in some of these places. In the defensive end, until Clowney resigns, if he resigns, it, it sort of feels like they're just going to throw a bunch of stuff at this. And obviously you mentioned Winovich. He's, he's kind of the headliner in that group opposite Garrett. Uh, but it feels like right now it's, it's kind of let, let's throw a bunch of numbers at this thing. Yeah. I would go with the sure thing there. I mean, you know what Jadavian Clowney is going to give you. You saw last season that he gave you nine sacks. Now four of those came in the last two games, uh, but still, nevertheless, uh, he gave you really good sack production and uh, he sets the edge really, really well. Uh, when he's not, you know, stopping the run, setting the edge, or getting to the quarterback, he's being very disruptive. He's getting pressures. And, you know, those kind of guys don't come along very often. The fact that he wants to be here, the fact that Miles wants him here, it just makes too much sense to me. I think it's worth the money, and I really think they need to go out and do that as soon as they can. Uh, a lot of other questions here um, kind of about the draft, but this was uh, what we just talked about, Mary Kay, the wide receiver room. Uh, Brian from Trip City, from Tip City, Ohio. Sorry about that, Brian. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, what does AB know that we don't on the wide receiver room that makes him confident moving forward? Or should we still expect a signing of a free agent or undrafted free agent. Of course, there will be guys coming in through rookie minicamp. They will add undrafted free agents over the course of these next couple of weeks. You just mentioned Will Fuller. But, uh, I mean, do you think a lot of this decision-making on the wide receiver room comes from that confidence in the guys they've drafted in previous years? You know what? I, I just keep thinking that they have to have some other move up their sleeve. Because what if Amari Cooper had to be out of the lineup for three or four games, like a Jarvis Landry was last season. Uh, they would have no proven veterans, okay? They don't have anybody else on the roster that's ever had a big season at all. So, uh, so I would not take that risk. I would definitely go out and sign a veteran receiver, wait, or, you know, if you have to wait for somebody to get cut, somebody that shakes out, but look, as we speak, I mean, today, while we're taping this on a Monday, we just you know, got the news a little while ago that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended for six games. So there's not going to be a lot of uh, good veteran wide receivers floating around out there. They are at a premium. And I think this does open up uh, the possibility that a Will Fuller or somebody ends up in a place like that. So I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're thinking, but I, I would not leave myself short at that number two receiver and just try to count on all of those young guys. I don't think that's what you want to do for Deshaun Watson. I think he uh, needs to have uh, a good veteran number two receiver that he can rely on. That's why I keep coming back to Will Fuller. I haven't gotten any indication that they have been hot on Will Fuller's trail to this point, but it doesn't mean they aren't or they won't be. I don't know why they haven't been. Um, but if it's not Jarvis, it should be somebody like him or they have to go trade for somebody. 
You know, let, let's go back to that, that first question we were talking about, because we mentioned wide receiver and we mentioned end. We didn't really mention tight end. And it feels like they're maybe still a little thin there, um, even if they are kind of transforming this offense a little bit. It still feels a little bit like after David and Joku, they're relying a lot on Harrison Bryant. Uh, they just signed before we recorded this. They just signed a, a, a basketball player from Texas Tech who hasn't played football since his freshman year of high school, Mar- uh, Marcus Santos Silva. It, you know, even if whatever he gives you this year, if, if he even makes it, would, would obviously be a huge bonus. They're a little thin just kind of in general at, at the pass catching spots. Unless, again, they really are convinced that, like, these guys that they have are going to be significantly better just through the development phase but also just because the quarterback play is better. Well, I think, you know, some of us wondered if they wouldn't go out and draft a tight end, somebody to bring into that room, uh, you know, and have in there with Dave Njoku and Harrison Bryant. And as you mentioned, they went out and they signed this basketball player, six foot six, 261 pounds. And I always like creative things like this. I've always kind of wanted them uh, to draft one of these guys or sign one of these guys. Uh, that played basketball, you know, like the Jimmy Butlers of the world that come in, the Antonio Gates that come in after having played basketball and they come in and they become these amazing tight ends. I like those kind of stories. Uh, so hopefully for the Browns, they will have found themselves one of those guys in Marcus Santos Silva. Uh, you know, obviously he's got to demonstrate that he can play football, that he can catch the ball, that he can take a hit, that he can do all of those things that you need to do in the NFL. It's not an easy position to play. It's not easy to go over the middle and, uh, you know, and take a beating by a Teron Matthew or somebody like that. Um, so he's got to prove that he can do that. And once again, I think that's another area where they might have to continue to add to the pile. Were you surprised at all that they just like lopped Austin Hooper off of this team? I wasn't surprised. I just thought there would be like something else with it. I didn't think it would be a standalone move. And it's why I felt like, okay, they'll probably draft the tight end at some point, but I was, I wasn't shocked that they got rid of Austin Hooper. It just like, it wasn't working. And, you know, I do wonder though, like if they knew Deshaun was coming, would they have maybe kept Hooper? I wonder if that maybe would have changed their thinking, but I, I still don't know. No, I mean, I guess I can't say I was really surprised either, because as you said, it wasn't working at all. He was not a fit here. And, you know, you have to you have to wonder, would he have fared a lot better with Deshaun Watson? But I just think also from a culture fit and, you know, we've talked a lot about this over the last week. I don't think he was a culture fit for the Cleveland Browns. I just don't think they really liked the. Uh, the interaction. I don't think they really loved the attitude. I think there were some things about him uh, that they didn't like from, from that standpoint. So I'm not shocked about it, but I do uh, wonder just like at number two receiver, are they leaving themselves a bit thin at tight end? One, one other note with the Browns signing a basketball player, um, Nas Bohanan, who was a, a local guy, played basketball at Lorraine, and then was a basketball player at Clemson, just signed with the Jaguars. So this is like the trend of this offseason, apparently. Everyone trying to find the next Antonio Gates. And did Tony Gonzalez, he was a basketball player, wasn't he? He was a two-sport I think so, yeah. I think he was a two-sport guy. I, I, yeah. I should actually know that. That's bad that I don't. But um, I'm a Kent State guy, so it's just Antonio Gates, front of mind at, at all times. I do think too with Hooper, it was kind of like when you watched him play on the Browns, like it was nothing like we expected. It just right. felt slower. 
it didn't seem like he was real dynamic. At least with Njoku, there's these flashes of like, oh, okay, yeah, I see it now. I see that athleticism and how he could be a, a really dynamic guy. You just never saw that with Cooper. No. And I do wonder now, okay, this is the opportunity that David Njoku has waited for since the Browns drafted him 20 in 2017 in the first round, actually traded up to get him. Now he did once again, uh, have an opportunity to be the number one tight end in 2019 for a while before he ended up at the doghouse. And he was off to kind of a good start. Uh, there were times when he dropped a few balls and that's one of the reasons why he ended up in the doghouse. He didn't have the concentration that I think he developed a little bit better as he went along. Um, but this is really his chance now uh, to go out there with a really good quarterback and to prove that he is the first round tight end that they drafted, that they traded up for, that Andrew Barry has stuck with through thick and thin. I mean, this guy has asked to be traded. He's been in the dog. I mean, it's just been a tumultuous ride with David Njoku. So now it's, it's time for him to, you know, kind of, put up or shut up a little bit and, and see what he's got to give. Yeah. This is like the out of excuses here for a few guys. Not, not, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's like, I think DPJ still has time. I think Schwartz still has time. I think these, some of these guys still have time, but a guy like Njoku, like you said, it's, it's put up or shut up. Like there's no more excuses. Everything's there. You've been handed the number one spot. You're making at worst $11 million this year. If they don't come to an agreement on an extension, like this is it, you know, mm-hmm. go, go show us now. Yeah. And you know what? And you guys, you know, all along and you and I have not always seen eye to eye this at all. Um, but I have always thought that if you just throw the ball up to him enough in the red zone and the end zone, that you can get some good production out of him. Because I do think that he has learned to concentrate on the catch more and see that ball into his hands better than he did uh, when he first arrived on the scene. I think he's much better at that. Uh, I, I think he's got a, a good knack for high pointing the ball. Um, and he's just so much bigger most of the time than the defensive back that he's going up against. So he should be able to just play a little tall ball, uh, you know, climb, uh, climb the ladder, go up and get that thing. And, uh, and I, I do think that he, I've said this since, since last year, and I take a lot of heat for it, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it again. I think he's an eight touchdown tight end. I think he is an eight touchdown tight end. And if he is playing as pretty much the lone tight end, most of the time in this offense, I think he'll get those chances. Yeah. He, he's, he's going to get those opportunities. And I think the drop narrative is, I mean, that's kind of dead. I, I don't really think he's a guy that drops the ball a ton anymore. Every now and again, he'll have drops, but it's not what it was, you know, a few years ago when it, he was just completely unreliable and every training camp, the story was, Oh my God, David Njoku had another day where he dropped a whole bunch of passes. What, what are the Browns going to do? I, I think that that alone makes him better. It's just a matter of, can he elevate himself now to become, you know, if you're, if you're a first round tight end who wants a big time extension, this is where you have to elevate yourself to become at least close to like Kittle Waller, you know, those, those top level tight ends. Yeah. And, and the, the bar is set pretty high. The bar is set really high now uh, in the NFL with tight ends, as you mentioned, some of the names there, you know, the Kittles, the Kelsey's, the Gronkowski's, if he even comes back this year. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's kind of where you need to be, especially if you're going to be making the kind of money that he expects to make, if they do the extension and he doesn't just play out this 
franchise tag that he's on, uh, he's going to be wanting to make whatever, $13 million a year or whatever the case may be, 14, something like that. And, you know, I, I do think that you sort of need to be up there in the, the Kittle Kelsey range, if that's what, you know, if that's what you want to do. So he's got a little ways to go uh, to be mentioned in the same breath with those guys, but Hey, he's got his chance now. He's, he's got his opportunity and he's got an amazing quarterback to get the ball from. So if you can't do it now with everything laid out for you like this, then it's just going to be on you. Okay. Another draft question. This comes from Wes Daniels in North Carolina. Hey, Mary Kay, who is the most underrated of the Browns nine draft picks? So just so everyone has them here, this is a reminder. These are the nine guys the Browns picked. Cornerback Martin Emerson, defensive end Alex Wright, wide receiver David Bell, defensive tackle Perry and Winfrey, kicker Cade York, running back Jerome Ford, wide receiver Michael Woods the second, defensive end Isaiah Thomas, and center Dawson Deaton. Who do you think we're not talking about enough in that group? That's a really good question. It's a really, really good question. And you know what? I'm going to say Martin Emerson. Their first going to be who I said. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, their, their first pick in this draft, number 68 overall. The plan going in, and I don't know if they would have taken one of these guys at 44 had they been available, but I suspect they would have. Uh, they had an opportunity. They liked uh, two of the cornerbacks that went off the board shortly before they picked at number 44. And those two were Kyler Gordon and Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. And as I've mentioned several times um, on this pod, that um, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, who was with the Browns and scouted with the Browns all fall, jumped up to number 42 and grabbed a cornerback I think they liked there. And so here they are at 44. They find themselves with a handful of guys that we all thought uh, they would be perfectly fine taking at number 44. And they passed on, on all those guys, the George Pickens, the John Menchies, the Alec Pierce's, the David Ojabos, um, and they traded down to 68. And they picked up a cornerback there, and they surprised all of us with this cornerback, Martin Emerson, because we really – didn't have him on the radar. We didn't have a cornerback on the radar per se. We should have, but we really didn't. Um, but Martin Emerson is their top pick in this draft and they must have seen something in him. They must, there must be something there for, for them to go get him at number 68. When guys like draft experts like Dane Brugler of the athletic had a fifth round grade on him. So the Browns go grab him in the third round and I think we should all, you know, not sleep on Martin Emerson and, and see what this young man has. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting up a post of like the three players that might define this draft. And I didn't include Emerson, but I put a section in there like why I didn't include him, because you would think the first guy they took you would include. But like he is ultimately your third corner long term, mm -hmm. you know, because you've got Denzel locked up. You've got Greg Newsom locked up. But that third corner is important. And he might, I mean, he might play this year a lot. It depends on, you know, Greedy Williams is still around, so he might kind of trump that. But, um, uh, you know, we don't know who's going to be the slot corner. It could be Greg Newsom. You know, he could play. They were doing it last year when Troy Hill was hurt. Greg Newsom would be the outside corner when there were two receivers. And then as soon as the, the other team would go to three, Greedy would come in and Newsom would slide to the inside. So they could do that kind of as a long-term plan, not as just a stopgap 
like they did last year. So that's where a guy like uh, that's where a guy like Emerson becomes really important because he's a big, lengthy outside corner. He looks a little different than Denzel and Greg look, and that's a good thing. We talk about building the receiver room like a basketball team. Having variety in the corner room is, is a good thing too. So, um, yeah, I, I think because he was the first guy they picked. And because it's sort of, you know, he's not going to come in and be a starter necessarily right away. He's kind of the underrated pick, I think. I think so, too. And I do think it will be interesting to see uh, how the role plays out. Um, because, as you mentioned, I think they have him sort of slated to try to learn that nickelback role. And right. they did end up trading Troy Hill. And um so it, it seems like that's in the cards for him. But the truth about Nickelback is you have no idea if a guy can do it until he actually gets out there in a game and tries to do it. And so they'll know, they'll know soon enough. And if he can't do it, because they don't have MJ Stewart anymore. I mean, MJ Stewart could do it. And he was pretty darn good at it, I thought. Um, so they'll know soon enough if he can or can't do it. And as you mentioned, if, you know, they have some flexibility and some options there because Greg Newsom has demonstrated that he can't. And Martin Emerson has played exclusively outside at Mississippi State. Uh, he's practiced some inside, but that's it. He hasn't gone out in a, in a big time game uh, against big time competition and proven uh, that he can do it. So that's something. And he, and he should have you know, he will have some, some good competition to go against over the summer. So they'll know if he can do it. Um, but again, until, until you actually get out there not even in a preseason game, in a real game and demonstrate that you can handle that chore, they won't know. Slot's tough. <laughs> it's yeah. really tough. I did a story it on it a few years ago and, and talked to some of the slot receivers, but also guys who like defend the slot. It's a, uh, it's a whole new game in there. You've got to deal with traffic. You've got to deal with big bodies. You've got to, you know, the guys you're going against are super fast and twitchy. You don't have a sideline to help you out. It's, it's a tough thing to learn, but the nice thing is, is there's not really pressure on Emerson necessarily to like, he doesn't have to be great in year one. There's time. They, they can actually develop him and, and slow play him a little bit if they want. Yes, absolutely. And that, that is key. That's always the key to remember that with these Andrew Berry drafts, do not think of it in terms of what are you going to get out of this guy in the year that he was drafted. I don't think they look at it like that. They even told us in the draft wrap up that they don't really look at it like that per se. They don't have all these holes on the team that they're plugging with these rookies. These are young guys that are going to have an opportunity uh, to develop and to learn and to grow. And then the next year is the year that they're supposed to really kind of hit the ground running. Oh, another thing that we didn't talk about enough is the Browns selected two players from the same school who wore the same number on the same day. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I don't know. I got to find somebody to ask about that. I can't imagine that's ever happened before that the same team selected two players from the same school who wore the same number and Perry and Winfrey and, uh, and Michael Woods, they both wore number eight for Oklahoma. Yeah, that was, that was kind of interesting. We had a few little interesting things, uh, like that. So there was that. And then the fact that, you know, while Baker Mayfield is sitting here hanging out in limbo, they just keep drafting <laughs> Oklahoma guys. And now they're acquiring Texas tech guys. Yep. So 
the last, you know, like five players or so that they've, they've acquired were either from Oklahoma or, or Texas Tech, where uh, Baker played his college ball. So it's, uh, it's been a little interesting. Isaiah Thomas was a teammate of Baker's. Maybe he chased him around on the scout team or something. I, Maybe. I don't know. It's a very sensitive topic. I don't know if we're going to ask him about that or not. I guess we have to. Anyway, let's move on. We'll deal with that down the road. Chris from Fresno, Ohio has a uh, theory. He says, hey, Mary Kay, I think a case could be made that Cade York was the Browns' most significant pick, even with Watson and Cooper, but with an otherwise young receiving room, points may be hard to come by at times. The Browns need a point maker. What do you think? I do disagree with Chris. I don't think points are going to be hard to come by, but what do you think of his theory that Cade York was the most significant Browns pick? Well, I, I agree with you. I don't think points are going to be hard to come by. I don't think so. I think they're going to be able to score the football, especially again, if they get that number two receiver and maybe another tight end, but uh, somehow, some way they're going to score the, the football. And um, so that, that I don't necessarily agree with, but I do think uh, that Cade York was a very significant pick. And as people who have listened to this podcast know, I wouldn't have, you know, slammed down my notebook if uh, if they even had taken him at number 99. I know that's insane and it's, it's you know, sounds crazy. But, I mean, you, you might have even been able to wait and grab David Bell a little bit later. So, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think one, 124 was, was probably the right spot for him might even be considered a little too early, but if you, end, if he ends up being your Phil Dawson, your next Phil Dawson, and you have him for the next decade and he solidifies the position and he gives you what Justin Tucker and what Evan McPherson uh, give to their respective teams here in the AFC North. then uh, yeah, that's, it's a great pick. They needed it. I mean, there are certain picks that are not sexy picks, like a, uh, like a center. If you don't have a starting center and you have to use a high pick to get one, it's kind of like, eh, it's a center. But if you don't have one and you don't have a good one, you will certainly very quickly find out how important it is. I like, too, that they just kind of, they're not messing around. They just waved the other two kickers on the roster today as we're recording. So I'm sure they'll add somebody just to have as a leg. Um, and somebody to kick in preseason games in like the second half or whatever. I don't know. Maybe they'll make Cade do all of the kicks in the preseason. It's only three games now, but I, I do like that. They're just, they're not going to pretend that there's going to be some kicker competition and he's got to earn the job. I like that. They're just saying, Hey, this is, we knew it because they picked him in the fourth round and they're just not going to put on the, the charade for us. They're going to, they're just, they're just going to make sure we know. Yeah. This is the guy. Yeah. I mean, they're probably gonna have to bring in some kind of a camp leg just so that they don't tire him out in camp. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they won't even bother doing that. But uh, usually you see somebody that's going to hang around on the practice squad. And then you have somebody that in the event of injury or COVID or something like that can step in there. But like you said, they just like, they got right to it today. And I mean, we just have to talk about this for one quick second, Dan. I mean, we have never discussed this on the pod. Speaking of weird little things, blew it. I mean, how can you be a kicker and your last name is Blewett? Yeah, that's bad. I mean, I, I feel <laughs> bad for the guy. He picked the wrong. You can't be an athlete, really. Like, if your last name is Blewett, I'm sorry. You've got to be. What can you be? I don't know. 
You got to be something where you just can't mess up publicly. Yeah, I mean, you can't be like. You can't even be like an attorney or something. No, you can't be a violin player. I mean, like, well, maybe you could play like a tuba or something. Maybe, yeah. Okay, now there you go. If a tuba, yeah, or a flute, something like that. Yeah, you can't be. You (laughs) definitely cannot be a kicker. You just, you just can't. It's too. We can't resist. I mean, what if they had ended up with Dicker the Kicker and blew it? I mean, <laughs> that would have been something, right? So we would have had to have put some kind of explicit tag on our podcast moving forward <laughs> if, if that was going to be the case there. All right, let's take a break at this point. And when we come back, we've got some more Hey MK questions on the other side. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a big picture question here from Brian in Minneapolis. Hey, Mary Kay, do you think the Browns gained ground in the division this offseason? Brian does not think they did. There's a ton of pressure on Deshaun Watson to perform without much difference. Uh, I think he means much difference uh, on the on the offensive side. While the Ravens got better in the draft and by getting healthy. Uh, He also says the Steelers reloaded on offense the last two years and the Bengals have a year more experience. The Browns gain ground in the division. I think, I think overall did. too, not just the draft. Oh yeah. I think they did. I mean, I don't know how you can go out and and trade for Deshaun Watson and not think they gained ground in the division. I mean, like he is an elite quarterback in the NFL. There are only six or seven of those. And the Browns now have one of those guys. And then they also went out and got one of the best receivers in the NFL in Amari Cooper. So I absolutely think they gained ground in the division, even if they just did nothing else uh, but acquire Deshaun Watson, just by virtue of that alone, of course, with the caveat that he plays most of the season, uh, they gained ground 100%. They, they would not have been able to, I mean, w- you know for a fact that we would not be picking them to win the division, even if they had gone out and, and already, they traded for Amari Cooper, if Baker, if they were running it back with Baker Mayfield, we would not have them contending to win the AFC North. Now we absolutely 100% do. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. It's Deshaun Watson. He allows you to kind of go in the deep end now, not just, you know, in the conference, but in your division, because you have Joe Burrow who could be an MVP candidate. You have Lamar Jackson who has won the MVP. And now you've got a guy who can be an MVP candidate. Now, whether he can actually win the MVP this year because of all the the other stuff, I don't know, but he's at least that caliber of player. Pittsburgh, by the way, does not have that anymore. They have a rookie and a quarterback class that nobody really seemed interested in. And obviously Kenny Pickett's a guy they believe in, but um, you know, we were having this discussion on Thursday night, like he's already 24 years older. He's going to be 24 years old. He kind of is who he is. There's not much of a a higher ceiling for him to reach. So it almost feels like of all the teams that have a cap on him, it it might sort of strangely be the Steelers. But as we've all learned, you don't ever write off the Pittsburgh Steelers. They they know what they're doing. They do know what they're doing. And Kevin Colbert, uh, their excellent general manager, this was his last act uh, before he retired as long, long time general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers, you would think that he would want to leave them in really good hands with Kenny Pickett. As we know, they also went out and they signed Mitch Trubisky. But when we think of that combo of Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, and Mason Rudolph, 
it's still in my mind doesn't match up to Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, or Lamar Jackson. Maybe Kenny Pickett will surprise us. Maybe he will. And if the Steelers want to continue to contend in the AFC North, then he's going to have to. I mean, he's just going to have to. Now, I remember back when they had a young Ben Roethlisberger as a rookie, right? And, and, and they, I believe they made the Super Bowl that year or the AFC championship game that year. Um, but it was mostly on the strength of their defense. So, you know, and they did, um, you know, they did restock their offense. I mean, they signed, they drafted George Pickens and a guy that I really liked in Calvin Austin, who I think is going to make an impact. I, I really do. I really like that player. Um, but it's going to come down to Kenny. It's going to come down to Kenny and what he can do. And I don't know, I, you know, m- maybe they know something that we don't know. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, I look, I think the Steelers will be the Steelers. They, they just sort of are who they are under Mike Tomlin and they'll play really good defense. Um, you know, defense can be a little fickle. Sometimes you have a great defense. Sometimes that defense doesn't perform as well the following year injuries, things like that, but they're just super consistent. They have good weapons. If they can protect Pickett, they'll probably be fine offensively. And I'm wondering, I mean, do you believe that they have to start Pickett week one? I mean, you mentioned they signed Mitch, but I kind of hearken back to when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield. And we sort of just overlooked the fact that like Baker Mayfield was an older prospect. Like it it seems to me like if you draft a guy who's 23, 24 years old and has a bunch of college experience, just play the guy. It, you know, if it's a younger guy who maybe doesn't have a ton of experience or whatever, that's when you kind of want to go with the Terod Taylor or the Mitch Trubisky or whatever. But I think once you draft a guy who's that old, you just got to put him in. Yeah, he's played a lot of football. Um, he went back for his senior season, uh, got a lot more experience. He's had a lot of reps. So, yeah, I would go ahead and just throw him in there and start him. I mean, really, what are you going to gain? If, if you're not thinking this is your year, then go ahead and get him the experience that he needs uh, to take you where you want him to go next year. So I would go ahead and, and get it rolling with him and, you know, get, you know, have him get his timing down with, with George Pickens and, and with Calvin and Chase Claypool. And I mean, they, they've got some weapons over there and now they have a running game too. So um yeah, I mean, he's a smart, savvy player. He's got some Joe Burrow in him. He's got a little bit of that Joe Burrow swagger in him. So, I, yeah, I would go ahead and play him. All right. Uh, question from Megan in Akron, Ohio. And this is a very complicated question, but I know some Browns fans went here when it happened. So Trevor Bauer, of course, was suspended uh, for two seasons last week. Uh, by Major League Baseball. I think it actually came down on the on Friday of the draft, something like that, but that doesn't matter. Uh, Megan asks, hey, Mary Kay, will the Trevor Bauer suspension have any bearing on how the NFL handles Deshaun Watson? And I want to just throw a little disclaimer out here. I am not super well-versed on the entire Trevor Bauer uh, situation, like what happened. Um, I followed along very loosely, but it wasn't something that I followed along closely. So I don't know all the details of that situation, but you know, it is worth kind of asking, like if the NFL sees someone get suspended for two years in another sport, does that put pressure on them to make sure that when they make a decision on Deshaun Watson, it sort of meets that standard, at least by, by how they would define it. 
I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I think that uh, that the NFL will keep its blinders on. They are in the midst of their own investigation into Deshaun Watson. I don't think that they're going to let something that happens in another sport, another situation with a whole different set of circumstances impact what they do with Deshaun Watson. They're not worried about the optics. They're not worried about the PR of it. They're worried about getting it right for themselves, for the Browns and everybody else involved. So I don't think they're going to be influenced by that in any way. Uh, it, it would take a tremendous amount of, of effort and time for them uh, to try to make that comparison and see it, how those two things matched up. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense that they would um, spend all that time trying to figure out if that's the, the right way to go for them. So no, I think they're going to stick with what they're doing. I just hope that, um, that they continue to interview all the parties involved and leave no stone unturned. I think they have to get this right. I really believe they've got to get this right. And um, they had only interviewed 10 of the 24 accusers by the time I asked Roger Goodell that question at the owners meetings in March. And um, so in my mind, they have at least 14 other people that they need to talk to. Um, that's it, that's at minimum. And then, then they need to have that, you know, that long, lengthy discussion with Deshaun. And that's a lot to have happen in this short time frame between now and the start of the season. And ideally, I think, of course, the Browns, if there's going to be a suspension, they want to get it over with this year. I, don't, I certainly don't think they want this dragging into next season. But it's tricky because there's still so much going on. There's still so much coming out. And um, it's, I think it's going to be a, a very difficult situation to navigate. I think, too, it's important to just note, like, the, these are two separate leagues playing under two completely different collective bargaining agreements. And, and that plays a factor in all of this as well, like what each league is kind of permitted to do, uh, how the different unions are involved, all of that. I do think the one, the one thing you said there is really important, and that's that the NFL can't get this wrong. And I'm not saying that they would err on the side of the PR end of it, but I do think like getting it wrong as far as spending him too long is better for them than getting it wrong as far as suspending him for not long enough. And that's not to excuse anything that he did. And that's not to turn this into just a, a PR game. But I do, I do wonder if that's maybe in the backs of, of their minds as they go through this. I, I think so. I, I think it has to be. I think, um, first of all, the lead investigator is a female uh, in Lisa Friel. And then, um, and then the person that has, was jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA to determine the suspension or the fine or both uh, is, a, is U.S. former district judge Sue L. Robinson. So they they have two females on the job. So I think they're being very cognizant of how this is impacting uh, women and the perception and the PR of it. I do think that, uh, that they are taking that into to account. And I do think that's good. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they might, they, they might want to err on the side of lengthier. And then he, of course, will appeal. Right. And, uh, you know, then he can come back and try to get that reduced. But you know, erring on the side of a little bit of a lengthier suspension uh, probably would 
feel right to a lot of people. And, and we just, I mean, we know the amount of anger that there was not just in Cleveland, but like kind of, you know, everywhere when it was like, oh my God, they're giving up all this and they're giving him $230 million. And could you imagine like, oh, and he's not going to be suspended. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's a difficult position for the NFL to navigate. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, th I think, I think there's still a ways to go on this. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, everyone is wondering like, where is this going to go? Who's going to be starting the season for the, for the Cleveland Browns? Is it going to be Jacoby Brissett? Uh, are they going to head into the season and, and nothing's happened yet in terms of a suspension? Could it happen mid season? Um, it's, there's still so much up in the air. And then you, of course you have the whole 22 civil suits and, um, the thing about the, the civil suits is that they won't be tried during the season. So it's not like, you know, he's going to have to miss a game in week nine because he's in the middle of a lawsuit. Uh, so that won't be happening, but there's still just a lot of unknowns. So this is, so this is my question. And I don't know if we really know the answer to this, but is there potential that he could not be suspended? And then like the NFL might say, we're not suspending you, but then the civil lawsuits play out in 2023 maybe he's found liable in a few of them could the nfl revisit that and say okay now we are going to suspend you in light of how these cases went is there is there a double jeopardy aspect yeah. to this yeah I, I wouldn't rule anything out i wouldn't rule anything out because um as you go along and more evidence comes out and um you know more things happen and they ask for more discovery uh, that could impact what the NFL decides to do. And again, they still have to interview a lot of people. But yeah, I do think that, um, you know, that there could be something to how those civil suits play out. And that is probably another case for Deshaun doing something that he don't, doesn't want to do. And that is settling. I mean, if he settles the suits and gets them, you know, out of the way, then the NFL would probably, you know, meet out its justice and, and send forth whatever discipline they're going to do. And, you know, it could be over by week six, week seven. Um, if not, it could stretch into next year. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a topic, certainly on, on these uh, Hey MK podcasts and moving forward uh, questions about Deshaun Watson. I don't know that we're going to get many answers uh, moving forward. Um, there was one other question I wanted to ask. Uh, so Ty in Montreal had a Dearness Johnson question because obviously the Browns drafted a running back uh, in Jerome Ford this week. Uh, so, he, so he says, hey, Mary Kay, how does Dearness Johnson's tender work? Do the Browns have the right to trade him at this point, say for a wide receiver prospect or a 2023 draft choice? So the Browns basically are the only team that can negotiate with Dearness right now. They essentially have full control of this situation. There's some mechanisms in June that they can kind of just make sure if they want him to be on the roster, he will be. Um, so I, I'm going to take this a different direction. Do you expect Ernest Johnson to be on the Browns roster at the, I guess, let's say at the start of the season? Well, that's a good question because I thought that he would be, and then they went out and they drafted Jerome Ford. And that sort of has my eyebrows raised a little bit about where they're going with some of this. And they have a surplus in the room. And if they really like Jerome Ford, I don't think you can keep all of these guys on the roster. 
And if you like Jerome Ford enough, um, you know, then, you know, you might not want to take the chance of exposing him uh, to waivers. So I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep Dearness Johnson on the roster uh, along with everybody else that they have, unless um, of course, this is something that I think we all probably thought of when they drafted Jerome Ford. I mean, I think that Kareem Hunt is okay. He's heading into the final year of his contract. His cap hit is $6.25 million. He was injured a lot last season. You know, it makes me wonder, like, do they have something going with, with Kareem? Do they want to renegotiate? Are they going to try? I, I don't know. It seems like they have a surplus of running backs and somebody's going to have to go. And of that group, I would have to say that, that Dearness, because he does, would have to make $2.43 million under the tender that he's on right now. If you don't want to pay him that much and you rather just, you know, you could save, you know, almost $2 million with just a cheap running back forward um, that, you know, I suppose there is a chance he could be gone. I'll, I'll put on my Kareem Hunt agent cap here and say, hey, are you trying to win the Super Bowl this year or not? Yeah. Like at some point you got to look at it and say, and, and not play the, the numbers game and just say, Hey, Kareem Hunt gives me a better chance to win the Super Bowl than anyone else. Not yeah, I, him, at least <laughs> I wouldn't do, I would, I would not move him. Uh, I, I, I think he can be so valuable to this team. I, I'm eager to see what he can do with Deshaun Watson. Uh, I'm eager to see this team use him more than they have under Kevin Stefanski. I think there's way more to him uh, and they haven't gotten enough out of him yet. So, uh, and maybe they planned to last year and he was injured for a lot of the year. I don't know. But, um, but if, if it were, if I were running the, the show, I wouldn't let him go. Okay. That'll do it for this edition of the orange and Brown talk podcast. A little, uh, little Brown's adjacent news here. Uh, the review of uh, Hugh Jackson's allegations have concluded and nothing could be substantiated. Uh, that tweet just coming um, from Adam Schefter. So kind of as expected, nothing coming out of the, the tanking allegations uh, that Hugh Jackson posed earlier this year related to the Brian Flores lawsuit. A lot of stuff going on, Mary Kay. <laughs> I know for the day after, you know, draft weekend, there's a, uh probably more going on than, than we were hoping for today, but you know, that's the NFL. <laughs> Come on, NFL, give us a little break here. All right. That'll <laughs> do it for this edition of the orange Brown talk podcast. Uh, all our questions came from football insider subscribers, go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get involved, to get info, get signed up. And then also make sure you subscribe to this podcast where you listen on Spotify or Apple podcast. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great. <laughs>